the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There are times when we read the 23rd Psalm, Though I Walk Through the Valley of the Shadow of Death, and we read it as though I walk into, as if we'll never get out. Job, I would imagine, felt that way. Let's talk about that next on Abounding Grace. I love the specificity of Scripture. It never leaves us hanging on some really important issues. For example, the 23rd Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, if we were to walk into it, it gives us the idea that we may never walk out. But going through it tells us, gives us, in fact, a promise that we will get through it to the other side. And that is where Job finds himself here in Job chapter 17. Job finds himself in the shadow of death, but he also understands that he's going through it, not into it. For the details, here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. These verses in Job are actually quite sad. In fact, if these lines of Scripture could somehow reflect the spirit of those who wrote and spoke them, this would be a tear-stained page in your Bible. But, beloved, I pray God will give us hope as we see his purposes in Job's hardship. Job has listened to his friends, and he says, There is no wise man among them. And he is very discouraged, and he is weeping as he cries out to God in his frustration. Now, Job's friends were done with their weeping. It was time to condemn, as far as they were concerned, which just goes to show us that even the best and the wisest of men can sometimes be cold and judgmental. So we have to be careful that we are better than Job's friends were to him. Job here says in verses 1 through 6, Lord, will you shake hands with me? And let's see how he gets to that request. It actually comes to us in verse 3. But in verse 1 he says, My breath is corrupt. The idea is probably that he feels like he is expiring. My days are over with. The graves are ready for me. And notice he says graves, plural. And that's an odd way of talking, is it not? But we should remember as believers, many are the afflictions of the righteous, we read in Psalm 34. In Acts 42.22, what did Paul tell the churches? It is through many tribulations that we enter God's kingdom. So, on the way to one grave, we pass through many different graves. 
Some people have bodily afflictions that keep them in pain their entire lives. Sometimes we go through things in our family that feel like we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And we don't know if we are ever going to come to end with it. Sometimes it's our jobs. Sometimes it's the struggles of our souls. Sometimes it's the mockery and the vexation of the wicked that persecute and hate God's people. Because it is through many graves that we will pass. We look to our friends for comfort. But as Job says here in verse 2, my friends are mockers. They won't enter into my struggle with me. They're not hearing what I'm saying. Now, I've already confessed that I'm a sinner, and I'm not trying to justify myself. When the Lord took everything away from me, I worshipped Him. My questions are different. They think, well, if you're going through bad times, you must be wicked. If you were righteous, you would always go through good times, they said. Job says, you are mocking me. You're telling me that if I immediately repent, I'll live a long and prosperous life. But I already have one foot in the grave. Plus, hasn't my whole life been one of repentance before God? Remember all the sacrifices I made for myself and my family? Oh, you are mocking me. He even says there in verse 2, you are provoking me. We probably wouldn't have to deal with so many extreme statements from Job had not his friends been continually throwing egg in his face and salt on his wounds over and over again. But he says of them in verse 4, Lord, you have hid their heart from understanding. And that's pretty strong. Eliphaz was probably older than Job and, of course, wiser than Zophar and Bildad. And we haven't even yet come to Elihu. But Job says they have no idea what they're talking about. And, Lord, I know you you won't exalt them. And Job here is speaking much like a prophet, because this actually comes true. At the end of the book of, of uh, Job, God humbles Job's three friends and says, you better go and have Job pray for you. So obviously what they are telling Job is without understanding. Job says in verse 5, on the one hand, they flattered me before, And that seems to be the assumption here. But he says, flattering won't do me any good. I don't need to hear condemnation, and I don't need to hear flattery. Flattery has no future. By the way, he says, a man who flatters, the eyes of his children will fail. So we need to be really, really careful how we receive flattery and how we give it. Who who rises up early in the morning to flatter is a deceiver, says Solomon. Plus, Job says in verse 6, You have made me a byword of the people. Job's suffering have become well known, at least in his circle of friends. And people drew false conclusions from it. Some people said, well, Job... 
must have always been a wicked hypocrite or these things would have never happened to him. Some people said God only raised Job up so that he would fall, so that God would bring him down. Job says, I have become a target. Or as the New American Standard Bible says, someone whom men spit on. And Job is saying, people think I am so wicked that they target me with their spiteful words. And it is as if they are spitting on me. But in the midst of all this, verse 3, he makes one plea and he makes it to the Lord. He says, Lord, lay down now and put me in a surety with thee. And he is basically saying, Lord, will you shake hands with me? Make a bond with me? Lord, for just a minute, can you stop being God and just tell me what's going on? Could you treat me more like an equal? Can we just shake hands? Can you stop the strife and stop the conflict and give me some comfort? Give me some understanding of what's going on. Now we can understand why Job would have been prompted to say this. But we really can't approve of it. Because you see, we need to understand something about the Lord. He will never, ever, ever, ever lay aside His majesty to make our lives more comfortable. In fact, it would be horrible for us if he did. You know, we often have thoughts like this. Lord, could you just stop this for a minute? Just make this easier. Make my children behave more. Make my husband, my wife understand me better. Don't make the world such a dark and tragic place. Could you just stop for a moment all of this that you are doing? And simply tell me what's going on or why are you doing this to me or give me some comfort. But remember, it is because he is so majestic that he brings pressure and strife and trouble so that we can recognize we are not God. And that he is. And then by recognizing this, we bow down to him and say, Lord, you do with me what you will. You see, we have to recognize Psalm 119. Oh, Lord, I am thine. You save me. Hardships are essential. So that we learn to submit to his rule and to his will. Plus, We will be granted blessings in a different way. Because even though he may not grant us what we want, he blesses in even greater ways. Because we have an advocate with the Father Christ Jesus, the righteous. Remember, Job just dimly knew that his Redeemer would walk upon the earth. But we have him. And we've got testimonies and biographies and letters from God's people who have been delivered by our advocate. We do have a surety before the throne of God. 
We have an anchor, Paul says in Hebrews 6.19, within the veil. An anchor, Jesus. So whenever it looks like things are all topsy-turvy and no one's in control and we're wondering, why is this happening to me? I, I don't understand this. I feel like my back is going to break under the pressures God has brought into my life. But instead of saying, God, could you just stop? Say instead, oh, my father is conforming me to the image of his son. I have an advocate. I have an anchor. I have a captain of my salvation. He has already stood on the path of the valley of the shadow of death. And he has overcome it. He has searched out all of the dark places because he has been tempted in every way like we have been tempted. He has known every pressure. He's known the sorrows of hell, the pain of death, the weeping of this life. And he has looked at everything. And he has become the man of sorrow. So that now, when we go through difficulty and trials and depression, we may say, well, mine are so light in comparison to Job. But you know what? We're not to judge ourselves by others and what they go through. Because God tests one with one thing and another with something else. Because God is the only master planner of these things, not us. But whatever the pressures and whatever the temptations and the struggles are, we do have one who has come down from heaven to bear all of our curse upon the cross and to walk through every dark place. So that now the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4 verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now they needed that admonition because they were facing more persecution. The early Christians had already gone through one round when most of their possessions were taken away. And some of them most certainly died. But there are times when our troubles seem to be unbearable. So how do we hold fast to Christ in these times? Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, it may be true that there are a few brothers or sisters who understand what we're going through. But, beloved, there is one who understands even better than you do what you are going through, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In many respects here, Job's faith is just grasping. Come to me, O God. And you know, God answered that prayer. He sent Emmanuel, God with us. That's why in the New Testament, as we now bring this into our day and age, we read some really strange things of, our, of others rejoicing in afflictions. Paul and Silas in jail in Philippi were beaten from their, for their preaching of the gospel. And what did they do? They were singing. 
We read about another strange thing. For the joy was set before Him, and Jesus endured the cross. We read another strange thing. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 talking about how he rejoiced in infirmity, in weakness, in suffering. See, we have crossed a bridge into the new covenant. And we now see Jesus. Even though we don't even yet see all things put under Him and under us, we do see Him, Him who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death now crowned with glory and honor. So when we have a burden, what are we supposed to do? We are to take it to Jesus Christ. When we have a need, what are we supposed to do? We are to fall before Him and say, Lord, I don't even understand why I'm going through this. My back is strong, but my back is breaking. I've given in to sin so many times. I worry. I'm fearful. But you are strong. You are the anchor. And if I'm filthy, you are the cleansing. If I need wisdom, you are Christ, the wisdom of God. If I need strength, you are Christ, the power of God. And we keep calling upon Him, and we keep trusting in Him. That's how we use the verses in Hebrews chapter 4. And you know, Job here longed for the opportunity and the privilege that we now have To see Jesus. So we shouldn't fault Job too much. I think we should fault ourselves. Instead of looking unto Jesus, we try to carry our own burdens or we just want to hold them in. Maybe we share a little bit or we start thinking to ourselves, no one has ever felt before like I feel. No one has ever gone through what I've gone through before. Really? Has your family forsaken you? Christ did. They even mocked him. Have wicked men spit on you? Wicked men spit on him. Have you been poor and lost your job? He had nowhere to lay his head. We could do this all night. Was Christ tempted? Peter said, Lord, don't go to the cross. Remember the night before he said, Father, take this cup from me. And Peter says, Lord, far be it from you to suffer like this. Now, I'm sure some of you have had families and friends try to undermine your devotion to Christ as well. So what are we supposed to do when these things come upon us? We are to take them to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the hour of trial, Jesus bleeds for us. He is our advocate. He is our anchor. He is our surety before the throne of God. In verses 7 through 10, Job adds and follows up with this. Oh, he, he wants God to shake hands with him and give him an answer. And then he looks over at his friends and he says, You are worthless. This is the best summary of these verses. Him saying, You're worthless. There's no one among you who has any sense. And verse 10 is kind of the theme of this section. 10b says, there's not one wise man among you. But on the way to that, notice Job's misery. My eye is dim by reason of sorrow. Oh, he's been weeping. We've already seen this in another place. He's saying, my eyes are red and they're puffy and I can't even see. Well, remember, he had oozing boils. His skin was scaly. 
It was probably cracked. He was covered in sackcloth and ashes. He looked like anything but a human being. And he felt Christ had forsaken him. The greatest trial of all. Of course, Job was weeping. Verse sec- 7, second verse. All of my members are like a shadow, Job says. You all think if you tell me a few magic words, everything will get better. You know, that's like many of today's counselors. You've got this long-standing sin in your life, so just go off to a weekend conference and take these three steps to a better life, and everything is going to be okay. we got a lot of Dr. Feelgoods in the church, and we forget that God's goal in our lives is not to make us feel God. His purpose is not to make me all better. At least not the way I think he should. Sometimes God's all better is to spank me, to discipline me, to chasten me, to make me go through adversity so that, what? So that we are just reduced to one thing, calling upon his name. Verse 8, Job says, upright men shall be astonished by this. You know, it is astonishing. And we should be astonished by such a godly man like Job being brought so very low. But we should also be astonished by something else. That if God upheld Job, and we know the end of the story, is he not going to uphold you and I? We know that part of the path of sonship is to learn obedience through suffering. If we are going to be astonished at anything... At anything. We shouldn't be astonished at our troubles. We should be astonished that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and bore our curse and rose from the dead. And now he reigns over us for our good. This explains why Paul, what Paul meant when he said in Acts 20 to the Ephesians elders, I probably won't see you again. He's been given a warning. If you go to Jerusalem, Paul, it's probably going to be bad for you. You're going to be taken a prisoner. The Holy Spirit has told him this. Verse 22 of Acts 20. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or await me. But notice what he says in verse 24. But none of these things move me. What? None of these things move me? Afflictions, troubles, hardships, none of these things move me? He says, neither count I my life life dear unto myself so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You see, this is something we are to work toward. The children we struggle with or our calling or our health or our finances or living in an ungodly nation. None of these things should move me. None of these things should astonish me. One thing should dominate us and grip us. And it will change the look on our faces. And it will change the way we relate to one another in our homes. God has called me to be a Christian. 
And I want to finish the course with joy. And some of that is going to mean, yes, there is going to be chastening. God tests the righteous. Oh, we know this. Hebrews 12, 6 says, God scourges, God chastens every son whom he receives. We are going to experience these things. We are going to experience pain. We are going to have difficulty in this world. But Paul says, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. Why? My goal is not to be a good American and retire and have what I want when I want it. That is not what moves me. What moves me? is that I can finish the course that God has set in front of me. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.